You know, God's people in Scripture, when you go through the Bible and you look at the different ways that God uh, has named them or labeled them, you see several different references to God's people. The reference of tribe or tribes, especially in the Old Testament, referring to God's people. You see them being referred to as the assembly God's people, it's a, it's a gathering, an assembly of God's people. You see family used many times, that God's people are referred to as the family of God, brothers and sisters in Christ. You see the bride of Christ, which that one just blows my mind to think about the church being the bride and thinking about the wedding imagery there that you see, but we're known as the bride of Christ. And then the scripture that we've been studying describes the church, God's people, as an army. Now, that's a little bit hard for me to grasp sometimes. You think about the bride of Christ, think about the family, and you think about assembly, and then you say, wait a minute, but we're also an army? That we are in a battle, in other words, something that we have to do together, the army in which every Christ follower is enlisted. And when you become a follower of Christ, then you're adopted into his family, you're part of the bride of Christ, but also then you say, you know what, I'm joining the army. Someone's like, well, I didn't sign up for the army. You did if you said, I'm going to follow Jesus. You said, I'm going to be part of this great army. We could say that we're involved in this universal battle that takes place not just here on earth, but in every possible realm of existence. Now, don't forget what we're fighting against. Ephesians chapter 6, turn your Bibles there because that's our text that we've been walking through and trying to understand what the Apostle Paul was teaching the church and teaching us about how to do battle with the evil one. Ephesians chapter 6 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Let me just stop there for a moment. And I know I've talked about this every single week the last three weeks. But church, we've got to get this. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. That, that means your struggle is not. When, when it gets tough at home and mom and dad want to argue, your struggle is not against your wife or against your husband. When, it, when it's hard with your children and your children and you want to you wring their necks or kids when you're like, I can't stand my mom or dad, the struggle is not against mom or dad. It's not against kid to kid. It, your struggle is not against your boss who you're like, I can't stand my boss. That's not, your struggle is not against that person. Your struggle is not against a person who's on the other political side than you are, who thinks differently about life issues than you do. That's not our struggle. But unfortunately, the evil one has duped us, and we start to believe our struggle is against him or against her, against my wife did this, my husband did this, my kids are doing this, my boss is like this. Well, that person thinks this way politically. That person thinks this way politically. Ah! And we make the struggle against human flesh. Paul says, that's not our struggle. Wake up. See what's going on. He says, that's not your struggle. He says, your struggle is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so when I'm mad at my boss, I'm going to kill my wife. I don't know about this person. I can't stand a political thing going on. Name the struggle. Satan, why are you stirring in this pot? Satan, why are you doing this? I'm not going to let you win any longer. You're, I'm done with you. We've learned that these evil rulers, these authorities, the mighty powers of darkness, the wicked spirits are hierarchy of demonic creatures who we are called to do battle with. And it's going on all around us. I want you to notice also that according to this verse, these evil beings are present in the unseen world and they're described as the rulers of this world world, the physical world that we live in. Paul describes Satan as the god of this evil world in 2 Corinthians. Jesus called Satan the prince of this world. 
In other words, why the struggle? Why the trial? Why the hardship? Why is it so difficult? Because there's an evil one who rules this world that we live in. And so it makes life really challenging at times. Very difficult at times. And while Satan's followers exist in this unseen world, they do their, their work in this present world in which we live, and it makes life challenging. Now let me remind you of a few facts that we've learned over the last few weeks that we must not forget. First of all, God's already defeated Satan and his agenda. We gotta live in that belief. We gotta live in that truth. Listen, Satan has an agenda. He's been defeated on the cross. Now we'll see the complete victory the day when the Lord returns and we're taken up to heaven. But in the meantime, we need to fight from that victory. We need a battle from that perspective that we have victory because we're in Jesus Christ. We need to not forget the fact that Christ followers are transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. When you say, I believe in Jesus, now you're walking out of darkness and you're going to walk in light and you don't have to go back to that dark world. And we can live in the light that Jesus teaches us to live in, and we don't have to embrace the old way of living. Another fact is that the spiritual battle we fight involves a responsibility on our part to put on spiritual protection that God has provided us. In other words, we have to do our part. We have to put it on. I saw a picture this week. I should have captured it and had it for you this morning. But it said, doctors don't make you healthy. Um, it said, the, the trainer at the gym doesn't make you skinny. The teacher doesn't make you learn. It went on all these different kinds of things. It said, take your responsibility. They can guide you. A doctor can guide you how to be healthy. The trainer can guide you how to do, how to do the right kind of exercise. The teacher can teach you, but you have to take your responsibility. Same thing comes here. We have to take our responsibility to put on the armor of God. And lastly, I want you to understand and remember this fact, that the majority of spiritual warfare is won by the regular practice of living out our passion in Christ, in faith. If you noticed last week, most of the things I described were parts of defensive weapons. They're simply things that, that we should be doing anyway, like living in truth, the belt of truth. We should be people of truthfulness, righteousness, that we live as right people, that we pursue righteousness. That's the breastplate, that we are people of peace, that our feet are fitted and ready for the gospel of peace. It's not some complex thing that we have to do here and learn some kind of chant or, or some kind of special trick or, or memorize some special thing or act weird. It's all part of being under the lordship of Jesus Christ, which means when I submit to Jesus and I accept Jesus' salvation, the Lord means he's in charge. And to walk under his lordship means if he says I should go this way or that way, or I should do this or do that, that I want to walk underneath his lordship. In other words, we're submitting ourselves to letting somebody be a boss or be a director or be a general or be in charge of our lives. Which really, he has the greatest plan of purpose for us, so why not? But that's where we struggle many times. And so if I simply focus my life on attaining the mind of Christ, victory can already be won. And so we have to learn to walk in Christ. Paul's very clear about a standing firm, Understanding our position in Christ and then not allowing Satan to move us. Now, as we remember to do this, remember we don't go out looking for trouble. We stand guard, and when trouble comes, then we put the into action and be prepared at all times. Now, before I get into other parts of the armor today, I want to open our eyes of awareness, so to speak. I think it's crucial, church, that we are aware how does he attack? Which way does he come? Just as if you're playing a, what are we talking about? Playing a basketball game or playing a football game or you're in battle in a physical battle that's here on earth in an army or military. 
You try to understand your opponent, and you try to understand how they're going to attack you, how they're going to come at you. And so each week we've been identifying a few of these different ways that he attacks. And so let me give you a few more today, some things that we should watch out for. We need to be watching out when we're taking significant steps of faith and our spiritual growth. you got to open your eyes. That The time that I've come under the heaviest spiritual attack is when I'm making the greatest leaps in my spiritual life. When I'm making decisions, this is especially true for those who first become Christians. Maybe you're on that journey and you're like, I'm new around here and I've been, I've been searching and I've been trying to get back to God or I'm trying to find God and you're on that journey. That's when spiritual attack comes. There's a false teaching that goes on in our society that says, come to Christ and everything will be great. And it's a big lie from Satan. What I've seen many times is you come to Christ and life falls apart. Because what does Satan want? He wants you to get distracted. He wants you to get destroyed. He wants you to, to get you to wander away. And so whenever we start making steps of faith, those of us that have been Christians for some time, we're also very vulnerable when we, we make a new pledge to God. God, I'm going to get regular in my church attendance. God, I'm going to sign up for one of those groups that he talked about, and I'm going to do one this time. I'm going to plug into it. I'm going to be regularly plugged in that group. God, I'm going to start a quiet time, or God, I'm going to begin studying the Bible seriously. When we start doing all these kinds of things, and we're making significant steps for spiritual growth, Satan says, ah, I've got to distract that person. I've got to destroy that person. I've got to put doubt in that person's mind. 1 Corinthians 10 says, don't be so naive and self-confident you're not exempt you could, call, you could fall flat on your face as easily as anyone else. And so we need to beware. When we say, I'm going to take some steps of growth with the Lord, watch out. Satan's going to come at you. Watch out. We're also invading enemy territory. When you say, I'm going to do some things for God, I'm going to be one of his warriors, he wants to stop you. When I talk about invading enemy territory, what I'm talking about specifically is evangelism here. When I'm sharing the love of Jesus, when I'm going to present his name, the enemy realizes you're trying to get some people to join this side. You're trying to get people to join onto God's side. And when you do that, the enemy says, i got to stop that. And I'm not talking about standing up and preaching like the four spiritual laws and telling people to turn or burn. I'm just talking about when you're at work and you're like, hey, I understand you're going through a hard time. You know Jesus cares. You know I care. Just a simple touch of Jesus, just simply letting people know. And then when you do get down the journey, you go, hey, I'm going to invite that person to come to my Bible study. I'm going to invite that person to come to church. Or I'm going to ask that person if they don't mind if I tell them my faith. Satan says, nope, I'm going to stop that. He starts to rear his ugly head. Now, I'd be concerned if you go, I don't sense that. I haven't seen that. Could it be that maybe he's leaving you alone because you're not carrying the gospel into enemy territory? See, when we carry the gospel into enemy territory, you'll experience that. If you're not experiencing that, it's a good evaluation to go, I haven't seen it, I haven't experienced that because possibly you haven't been opening your mouth for Jesus. Watch out. Watch out when we're exposing Satan for who he really is. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11. It says, Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Have nothing to do with darkness, but expose them. In other words, bring them into light. This sermon series is one of those series where it's kind of challenging for me, preparing for it, understanding it, the confidence to preach it, because I believe that Satan goes, wait a minute, you're trying to expose some of my ways to an entire congregation, and he doesn't like that. He doesn't like us having our eyes open. And so this month, preparing this, preparing these messages, it's been challenging. Life seems like it gets more challenging. It seems like there's more bumps in the road. It seems like the stress level has been higher. 
And I think a lot of it is because Satan says, I want to keep you distracted, preacher. I don't want you to expose darkness. I don't want you to do that because then more people will be aware. We've got to expose darkness. Watch out. Watch out, especially when you repent and make a clean break with the world or a long-standing held sin pattern or an unholy relationship. In other words, watch out when you say, no longer in my life. No longer am I going to participate in. No longer am I going to do. I'm now going to walk with God. That's a biggie. When you know I've not been walking a Christian life, when you know I haven't been choosing Jesus and you fall into some type of sin and some kind of relationship that led you away from Jesus, quite possibly just being here today could be part of that journey. You could have been saying, you know what? I'm drawing a line of sand. I'm going to church. I'm going to make it happen. Satan says, I'm coming against you. Satan doesn't want to let go of you. He thinks he has you in his grasp, and he thinks you'll never turn your life around. So when you start saying, I'm going to start living a holy life, and I'm going to start choosing the ways of God, then he starts to fight against that. He says, I'm not going to do that. How does he do that? Well, he starts to put some doubt in your mind. He says, doubt like, well, I can never go through with this. Doubt like, what's my friends going to think of me? Doubt like, how will God ever love me again? Or he makes you question your worthiness before God with, with things like, God will never take me back because I've blown it so many times I'm not worthy. It's one of the things the enemy does best. He makes us believe that God doesn't want us anymore, that he doesn't love us anymore, that he doesn't accept us anymore. And that's a big lie from the evil one. You can read all throughout Scripture where people have blown it Bigger than you and I could ever imagine blowing it, and he's just, he still loves him. His arms are still open. It reminds me about the prodigal son who went, wandered off, and did it his own way, and returned around and came back. What's happened? The father's there with his arms who are wide open, and he threw a party for his son, and he wants to do the same for you and me. Never, church, hear this. Never will God turn his back and say, You're not good enough to come back to me. And that's what Satan wants you to believe. And so when you repent, you make a, a clean break, you, you make that U-turn, you got to watch out because he'll rear his ugly head. you got to watch out when God is preparing us for a great work for his glory. you got to watch out. Every time an individual or a church is called by God to do a great work, Satan goes on attack. You know, Satan doesn't mess with churches that aren't trying to do God's work. Satan doesn't mess with individuals who aren't trying to do God's work. Satan's really happy with those who are lukewarm Revelation tells us that you'd be hot or cold or I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. In other words, God doesn't want us being lukewarm because you know Satan goes, I love lukewarm Christians. They're so ineffective. But when you start getting effective and you say, I'm going to do something for God, God's calling me to do something for His glory. Your heart and your mind start to align with what God's calling you to do. And you say, I want to do it. I'm going to start that Bible study in my workplace. I'm going to start that prayer group on my school campus. I'm going to start loving my neighbors and start caring about my neighbors and start praying for my neighbors every, every now and then and have their name down. Invite them over for the cookout. I'm going to go to the mission field. I'm going to go to the ministry. Oh, I thought I was going down this path, but no, I'm going to pursue God's path. You start doing that. And Satan says, no, nope, i got to stop that. i got to come after them. And so you got to watch out because Satan doesn't want us to succeed. we got to watch out. We've been in this process this year called Next Steps. We're trying to discover what's next for God. And there's been some bumps along the way roads in the road as we're trying to figure all this out because I believe God has some great things in store for Centerpoint Christian Church in the coming years, and we're preparing for them. And God, God's walking us in that journey. At the same time, Satan's trying to rear his ugly head and slow it down, stop it from happening. We've got to watch out. So we've got to be prepared for the attack. Now let's unpack a few more of the armor that we've been given by God. Look at Ephesians chapter 6. Stand firm then with what? The belt of truth. 
buckled around your waist. That's from last week. Or the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, he says, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take up what the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We find three more. Now, we're going to tackle these three. Next week, we'll tackle the last part of the armor, which is prayer. And it's so important. I'm just saved next week just to cover that as one whole topic. But today, let's just talk for a moment about the shield of faith. Imagine now Paul. Remember, he's in a guard, and he's, he's in jail, and he's being watched. He's probably changed to a prison guard. He's seen all their garb. He knows what they're wearing. He knows a lot about, about the army. And here, he's talking about a shield. In the scriptures, there's two different words that explain shield. One is a smaller circular shield, kind of like a trash can lid, like, a, like you would see there, or like a child's shield that they're, they're playing with in the backyard or in the basement or playing with their toys. It's just small. It kind of covers a small midsection of the shield. And the other kind of shield is more similar like a door where it kind of covers almost from head to foot. It'd be really tall in the Roman garb. It would have come down almost down to the foot. It would have come up almost to the chest, and it would cover the entire body. And the Romans were so well-trained that they knew how when they were getting a fight and having a battle, how to get down behind that so any flaming arrows could never hit them. And their shield maybe get pelted, but their body was completely protected. And as Paul's writing this, he's saying the shield of faith, he's talking about a faith that will protect all of, it, all of you. A faith that will protect your mind and your heart and your soul and your finances and, and everything about you. He's saying you gotta, you got to grab onto that kind of shield. In other words, you got to have a big faith, not a small little faith. It's something that will kind of protect a little bit of you saying, well, I kind of believe God will see me through this. No, it's got to be, no, God will see me through this. It's got to be, no, I know God's walking with me. I know that God has this in his hands, and i got the faith that he's going to do that. And it's a shield, that type of shield, that, that not only will it just protect me, but it'll protect my family members and my friends. Yeah, my brother's going through this, my wife's going through this, but I have enough faith that, that my shield's going to extend even kind of reach over to them and help them out. That's what Paul's talking about. He's saying, he said, you got to have a big old faith that God's in control. kind of ties back to that gospel of peace. Well, how do you have the gospel of peace? Well, you got to have faith. Faith that God has it in his hands. We must have that kind of shield that the, these fiery darts that the evil one shoots at us, that they're not going to come to fruition, that, that the shield's going to block them, the shield of faith. And the shield of faith is built and strengthened. The more that we place our, our whole heart in it, the more we exercise that faith, it gets stronger and stronger. Sometimes I have questions. You ever have questions of God? Sometimes you wonder, why are things not going the way I want them to go? You ever have the why question? Why, God? Why did this happen? Why did that happen? Why is this happening? And sometimes there's just no answer for them. That's where Paul's saying, put on that shield of faith. Put on that shield of faith that even though your human mind doesn't understand it, even though you can't put an explanation in it, that you say, I'm going to walk in the faith, the shield of faith that has been given to us. Another part of our armor is the helmet of salvation. He says, you put on the shield of faith, and then here we find this helmet and a helmet does what? It protects the head. And so he's referring to protecting the head from the enemy, which protects your mind. I understand God appeals to the heart, but God also appeals to the mind. Throughout Scripture, God uses reason with man. Isaiah chapter 1 says, come on, now let's discuss this. In other words, come on, can we talk about this? we got to do some reason here. we got to discuss this topic. And he says, though your sins are bright red, they'll become as white as snow. They are dark red. They'll become as white as wool. 
talking about salvation, talking about Jesus, talking about how Jesus is going to come. He said, listen, let's not talk about this. Let's reason together. Let's discuss it because God wants us to use our minds. He wants us to, to think. He wants us to understand. He wants us to reason. But that's very difficult to do when we leave our minds unprotected, church. He said, you put on that helmet of salvation. You protect the mind because it isn't a mind that we are assaulted we're assaulted with images that fill our thoughts. We're insulted with philosophies of this world. And Satan says, I'm going to attack that mind. And, and God's saying, you put on the helmet of salvation. See, in this day to age, we need to guard it more and more when we see graphic sexual images that tell us how to live sexually that are totally outside of God's way of living. We're bombarded with philosophies that dethrone men. They dethrone God's thinking and they enthrone men. We are made to think that what God's Word says about sexual issues of today are no longer needed, that purity is not important, that righteousness is not important, that that's all old-fashioned and unnecessary in today's age because Satan does what? He attacks the mind. And then we get duped into believing what Satan's lies keeps telling over and over and over again. And so we need to protect our mind with the helmet of salvation we need to protect our mind. He's not talking here about our initial salvation experience. He's not talking about the day when you just come and you put your faith in Jesus Christ. He's talking about putting your whole hope in God's plan. That God's plan of salvation, God's plan of this world is a saving plan for this world. It's a saving plan for you and me, the here and the now, the here and the future. Not only am I saved by the blood, so I'll be in eternity in heaven, but be saved by His righteousness by protecting the mind, the helmet of what the day-to-day task is that we face. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul says, But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and a hope of salvation as a helmet. A salvation that says, I know God's plan is better than anything else. I know God's purpose is better than anything else. I know that God's word is true and I'm going to live by that. That's the type of salvation he's talking about. It it puts all the philosophies of the world. It puts all the attacks on our mind. It puts them all in their proper perspective. And when the world is crying out that this is right and this is right and this is right and this is for you and this is okay, that we go, no, 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 no. I got to align all that under God's purpose and his plan. That's the helmet of salvation, knowing and cherishing the fact that we're God's children and God has his best for his children. What parent wouldn't wish their best for their children? That's what we have to look at is God's plan. If you don't have that hope today, you don't have that hope of salvation Have you opened your mind up to the enemy's attacks? See, it begins with a salvation in Jesus and then a daily salvation to trust in his daily plan. An armor of the helmet of salvation. The other part of the armor that's so important is the sword of the Spirit. There's one thing that distinguishes this weapon from the others listed, and this is an offensive weapon. Without it, we have no way to drive off Satan and his demonic powers if we don't have the sword of the Spirit. If we put it, put it on all the other items of the armor, they're all defensive items to prevent us from being wounded. But this is the one how we actually chase him away and drive him out of our presence. It's the Word of God. The one thing in this list that we cannot do without, the sword of the Spirit, is the Word of God. He says you've got to have the sword of the Spirit. The Bible compares God's Word to a sword because it pierces and it penetrates. Hebrews chapter 4 says, For the Word of God... Is living and active. 
The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even the dividing soul and spirit, the joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. How important is the Word of God to our lives? That we put it into us and that we live in it. God's Word penetrates every human personality, the very deepest of our inner beings. In the book of Revelation, where John had a vision of Jesus in his glory, and as the Lord of the church, one of the things he saw was a sword actually coming out of the mouth of Jesus. Look what he says in Revelation 1. In his right hand held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all of his brilliance. What is that double-edged sword? The two-edged sword he's referring to is the word of God that comes out of the mouth of Jesus. And Jesus himself actually used the word of God against Satan when he was tempted in the wilderness. And we would do well to follow that example. Maybe you recall the account, one of the most interesting things that took place in the wilderness and the temptation was Jesus didn't turn and run from Satan. He didn't, he, didn't, he didn't hide from Satan. As Satan tempted him in the wilderness, he said, Away from me, Satan, for it is written. And he would go on and quote scripture. Away from me, Satan. And we need to be able to speak the word verbally. And that's a double-edged sword is one side of the sword is we put it into us internally by studying the word and being around the word and memorizing the word. But then we speak it. That's the second side. So we have to fill ourselves and we have to proclaim it. And we proclaim it. We say, away from me, Satan, because it is written. And that's how we deal with issues we're dealing with life. Whether it be lust or lying or, or, or doubt or fear, we have scripture that we speak out loud. And when you speak scripture out loud, Satan then starts to flee when you chase him away. It's the written word that we put in and then the written word we speak. And when it comes from our mouth, it drives him away. It becomes an offensive weapon. I hope, church, that we study these issues today. Next week, we'll wrap up the series that you're becoming more and more aware of the attacks of the evil one. The last week I talked about this a little bit, and I just kind of draw it into it as I wrap up, is that my concern for us is that we don't take this serious enough. It's so easy to come into church, hear a message, think that was good, I need to do something with it, and go home and be distracted later today or Monday or Tuesday or by Wednesday, forgetting, and I talk something about spiritual warfare. It's so easy for us to look at some of this text and go, is that real? Is, do I really need to do something about that church? If I could, I would have a blowhorn just yelling in your face saying, this is real. Warning lights are going off like crazy. This is an emergency 911. So how, how do you know it's real? Well, just stop and think. Just, just think for me, with me for a minute. Did you watch the news yesterday at all? I mean, if you, if you turn on the news for just a few minutes, you saw the evil one's handiwork. If, you, if you've been on your social media feed, whatever feed it is you're following, and you, you see the stories and, and the ugliness that takes, on, takes place and the debating and the arguing, you've seen the handiwork. If you feel the stress in your work, workplace, if you're feeling the stress in your home, you, you, you're sensing a challenge in the marriage, you're sensing a challenge between kids, you now got the kids back to school. I mean, you just see his, his eyes everywhere. You see his, his, his work going on everywhere. It will stop and think. But many times what happens is we get into coast mode. Well, tomorrow's Monday. Tomorrow we're back to the rat race. Tomorrow we get the kids off to school again. For some, you're beginning this week, but... 
you know, we just start the, we start the process. And we get up and go to work, and we get the kids to school, we get them their activities, we go home, we eat dinner, we got to get them all ready for bed. And we turn around Tuesday, we do that again. We turn around Wednesday, we do that again. Turn around Thursday, we do it again. And in the meantime, the evil one is just working, and we're not even recognizing that. Church, we got to start praying, Lord, open my eyes to see the hand, the work of the evil one. Help me to stand against the evil one because what I'm talking about, church, is so real. I plead with you, do not take this series of messages lightly. Do not because the evil one is roaming around. He's looking for who can I devour? Who can I destroy? That's his plan and that's his purpose. And we don't want to be devoured or destroyed by the evil one.